Thanks, guys. I am really excited to be talking to you guys tonight. We were discussing like Old Testament themes and just the things we wanted to talk about. And this is a topic that I just think is really cool and interesting, which are not things that maybe we think of when we think of the Old Testament, you know. But it's really uh, fun for me to think about and to talk about. So I just hope this is really helpful for you guys and applicable uh, and helps understand just some of the things going on in the Old Testament. You know, that's something I've been really appreciative of Cody and David the past couple weeks. There's been some, some good stuff from them. So uh, we're going to look at three roles tonight in the Old Testament that are all really important. And a bunch of people have them. You know, they have these roles. Um, and they're given by God. And these three things are prophets, priests, and kings. And there's, like I said, there's a ton of people in each of these roles in the Old Testament, and they all have a common purpose. So they have one purpose, and that's to act as a mediator between us and God, between God's people and God. And a mediator, I, I got the definition here, I think it's going on slides too. It's a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement. Right, so you got one person over here, one person over here. They're separated by something, and a mediator is someone who comes between them to try and figure things out. And all these different things, prophets, priests, and kings, are ways that God set up for us to be in a relationship with him, to mediate with him. So I just want to help you get a clear understanding just of why this is so important, why it's important for us today, uh, and then hopefully just the things that we can do in response to these truths. So first, I just want to pray for us. God, I just want to ask that you would um, really bring your word into our hearts tonight, that things that you talk about um, would be on our minds as we leave, and you would really give us next steps, um, really to take in our walk with you as a result of tonight. I pray that if there is any confusion on these roles in the Old Testament, God, that you would give us clarity, uh, and I pray that you would help me to, to speak clearly from your word, God, and just to communicate what you want me to. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So the first question that I want to address, this is necessary to think about, right, is why is mediation between us and God necessary? Like, why is there a separation? And there's two things that we kind of need to understand about God and people going into this. And one, David kind of touched on last week, is that God is completely holy and pure. He is unique and separate from anything in creation because he's not created and there's an implication to this that's important, and that is that without God reaching out to us, we wouldn't be able to connect with him at all. Like, God has to initiate the relationship. He's just so separate from creation that it takes him reaching to us to initiate a relationship. So that's the first thing. God is just completely holy. The next thing is that uh, people are not. <laughs> people are sinful. And that, that's me, that's you, that's every person uh, has sin in their life. And that sin separates us from God. Like any personal relationship we could have had with God on our own is broken. Uh, God is so perfect and so holy that this rebellion against him, the impurity in our life, is not something that can be in his presence. So we can't have a relationship with God because of our sin. And David kind of, again, talked about the last week, this, that God's glory is just compared to this consuming fire. Like anything impure that gets near a fire gets you know, burned, right? And so we don't, we don't want to do that. We want to come to a right relationship with God. And that's why we need mediators. Okay, and I want to make that really clear. That's important. We need a mediator between us and God right now while we're still sinners. So we're going to get into just these specific roles. I'm kind of going to cover each of these and just try and get a clear understanding of their, their purpose 
through these different books of the Old Testament, you know, these books of the law, books of history and prophecy, describing all these systems of sacrifice and being clean and unclean. I want to try and help bring some clarity to these things. So the Old Testament starts with creation. Right? Like that's, that's where we start. But really fast, like before the end of Genesis, it's zoomed in on one nation. And that's the Israelites. And this is because, the reason it zooms in on them, is because God chose them out of all the nations on earth to be his people. And that he relates differently with them. He actually uh, calls them to be different than the people around them. He blesses them uh, with his presence and with other things. And he relates with them uh, just in a completely different way than any other nation. And again, these three roles, prophets, priests, and kings, all had a part in mediating this relationship. So prophets, prophets represented God to the Israelites by communication. And you can hear the word prophecy, and I immediately think like, oh, telling the future. That's what prophecy is, you're telling the future. And that is true, like that was part of what the prophets did in the Bible. But their main job was just to speak the message of God to the Israelites. And this included, included like future things, like the coming of the Messiah, uh, things that were going to happen to the Israelites if they continued in sinful ways, consequences of their sin. But it also just like, communicated the basic message of God to people, like addressing the state of rebellion, calling them to repentance. And every prophet was personally told by God, here, I want you to say this. And the prophet would turn to the people. So they were, they'd get the message from God, turn to the people and say, the Lord says this, right? And there's some examples here I have uh, just from these different major prophets of this, this specific call. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, he sees this vision of God and he hears the voice. I'm gonna go ahead and read the passage. He says, then I heard the, Lord, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people. And if you wanna know what he was gonna tell the people, you can read on your own. But that's, that's the important part for our purposes tonight, right? Like he says, go and tell this people. And he gives them a message to communicate. Uh, in Jeremiah, he's recounting a similar experience. He says, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Ezekiel 2.7 says, you, Ezekiel, must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. So the prophets all had this message from God that they were going to give to the people. And that was their purpose, is communicating this message. Even when their language is really highly symbolic or confusing uh, or about the future that's unclear to the Israelites at that point, all of it is the message of God. So that was the purpose of the prophets. They represented God to the Israelites by communication. Priests represented the Israelites to God by intercession. Okay, so we have the prophets are getting a message and speaking it to the Israelites. The priests are standing for the Israelites before God. And intercession, that word just means the action of intervening on behalf of another. So it's taking action in place of someone else. So this office, this role, was established by God after the Israelites left Egypt. And as a group, the priesthood, like the, the Levitical priests, they were in charge of this whole sacrificial system. And it's, it's a lot. Like I'm reading in the New Testament right now, and going through, it's like, oh man, this is very specific. Like there are a lot of things uh, that, you know, they had to do, they had to keep track of. 
But really all of that boils down to God was giving people a method by which they could relate to him, right? That he was making a way for them to relate to him in spite of their sin. And the high priest specifically, so you got priesthood, they were in charge of the sacrificial system. Uh, the high priest had this job, a very specific job, and it was making a sin sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. So we're going to read in Leviticus uh, when this, this kind of uh, job was established. And going in, just Aaron, it's the first word in the, cha- in the, the passage. Uh, he's the person that God first gave this role of high priest to. So this is the beginning of the whole deal. And it's Leviticus 16, 6 through 34, which sounds intimidating, but I cut it down, uh, hopefully just getting the most relevant parts for us understanding what this position entailed. And you can go read the whole passage uh, if you'd like. This is the NIV translation. And I'm just going to read, again, these selections from uh, verses 6 through 34. It says, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Then he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness, into the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. So I, I have some observations here, right? That's a lot. That's like a chunky Old Testament passage. You know, it's like, oh. But I have some, some observations that just pull out, hopefully, some really uh, helpful things. One is that the high priest had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin before offering a sacrifice for the people. That's important. The high priest was not perfect. He had his own stuff he had to deal with. And so that was the first thing he had to do. Uh, The sacrifice took away the sin of the people. Remember how we we were talking about how sin is what separates us from God? Well, the sacrifice removed sin so that God could actually stay with them without punishing sin. Uh, The sacrifice, this sacrifice, was to be repeated every year. So every year, this ritual would go through. They would sacrifice a bull for the priest's sin and then two goats for the the Israelites sin, but then the next year would roll around and turns out they sinned a bunch again, right? Like sin continued, and so the sacrifices continued every year. And the priesthood continued through generations. So one high priest dies, you get a new one. That guy dies, you get a new one. That guy dies, like on and on until they didn't know. (laughs) Like at some point, something was going to happen. They didn't know. And uh, so that's the, the purpose of the priest is to really just intervene, to make intercession for the Israelites by sacrifice. And then we get to the king. And the king, this was established a little later. The Israelites asked, they're like, dude, we want to kind of be like the other nations, so we want a king. Like it's, you know, it's weird that we're hearing directly from God. We want a king. (laughs) And God is like, 
man, like, you know, okay. I mean, there's, there's some things that go on with that. But eventually they get a king. And the first king of Israel is a guy named Saul. Uh, the Lord told the prophet, the guy speaking the message right at the time, named Samuel, hey, Saul's gonna be the king. I want you to go find him and I want you to anoint him. That's just like picking out, it's a symbol that God's chosen this person for a specific task. And in 1 Samuel 10.1, we see this anointing of the first king, along with kind of a short description of his, his job, right? So 1 Samuel 10.1 says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his, Saul's, head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And that word prince, another uh, accurate translation would be leader, like a leader over his people Israel. And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. So there's two things that the king was supposed to do. The king was supposed to protect the Israelites and lead them in God's ways. That was his purpose. You know, we think of kings like in the Middle Ages, they're like in a castle surrounded by servants. Everyone has to do what they say or they're going to die. Like that was the deal, right? With like old middle-aged kings. No, it's not like that. Like the kings in the Bible are really accountable to God for their actions, like, they, they report to God. God is their direct boss, and they're responsible for how they handle that responsibility. So the story of the kings in the Old Testament is honestly, like, not great. Like, you get, you know, there's Saul. He takes a downhill turn, like, pretty quick. David is the next guy, and he's, like, the best king. Like, if people think, like, oh, yeah, King David, like, we want him. He still messed up a lot. Like, he did some major bad stuff. Uh, and even though he's identified in the Bible as this man after God's own heart, like he, he really pursued God, he still messed up because he was a sinner. And so again, the, the current king would die and the people were just kind of like, well, I'll roll the dice, I guess. Like see how his son is doing, you know? See how this guy's doing. Like sometimes it was like, oh, he found the book of the law, great. And it's like, oh, and his son's horrible. We're sold into slavery. Like all this terrible stuff would happen to them as a result of these kings. So what I want you to see from these different roles is just the purposes that these people had was representing God and the Israelites to each other. They were go-betweens for God and the Israelites so that they could have a relationship. And all these Old Testament ways of mediating were for the Israelites specifically. Right? Like in the Old Testament, it's only the Israelites. God has chosen them as his people. In the New Testament, we see that anyone who has faith in Christ, faith in Jesus, is identified as one of God's people. In fact, they're one of God's children, which is crazy. You know, Galatians 3, 27, it says, so in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So if you are a Christian, if you've committed your life to Christ, then, you know, you're a child of God. You have this privilege of being called a child of God. And the problem is, you know, we still have sin, so we need a mediator between us and God, but that's Jesus. Like, now we have Jesus. And I want to show you just how Jesus fulfills all of these different things that we see in the Old Testament. They just point so beautifully to him as a person uh, for us. And so, you know, how was Jesus a prophet? Right? The prophets spoke the message of God. Well, you can get that pretty clearly, like, from the Bible. You know, a lot of people, when they met Jesus, would be like, oh, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then you would talk to them for a little more and they're like, oh, you're the Messiah. Like that was, that was a different level of prophet, right? So he spoke the message of God, but he also perfectly showed 
God's character to people. He was perfect. Like Jesus did not sin once. He was the perfect representation of the word of God. And most of the prophecy, you know, the prophets also talked about future things, right? Most of the prophecy in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. Like there's tons and tons of stuff just about Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, his death, especially the days leading up to his death. Like there's so much that was told beforehand just by God's word. And we can look back and see that clearly because we're on the other side of history, right? So uh, Luke 24, 25 to 27 is this passage where Jesus is walking with the disciples and they don't know it's him. Like he, he died and then he came back three days later and they're still in despair. They meet this dude on the road and it's Jesus. Somehow he hides it from them. I do not know how that works. You can ask God when you get to heaven. But he says, uh, the, Luke, the writer says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus, when he meets the disciples after dying and raising life again, he takes the, the Old Testament, right? Because they didn't have a New Testament. It wasn't written yet. The scriptures of the Old Testament. And he shows them all these things that just apply to him. And he says, look, that's, that's Jesus right there. And they're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And then at some point, it's like, whoa, it's Jesus. Again, wild story. I don't know how that works. So, and then John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus, uh, the word of God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And then in John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus is talking Uh, to the Pharisees, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And he continues, in fact, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And what he's saying is, if you've seen me, you've seen God. That is a wild claim wild. Like none of the other prophets ever claimed something that extreme, right? No prophet was turning and telling people like, I am the truth. Because the people would be like, dude, you were like angry at your kid last week. <laughs> like, well, and he's like, uh, okay, you know, like Jesus was perfect. He actually perfectly represented the word of God. And that's why he could say like, I am the way, the truth, the life, because he lived perfectly. And this is important for the next part too, right? He lived without sin. And that perfection made his sacrifice perfect. You remember the Old Testament priests were offering sacrifices first for their own sin and then for the sin of the nation? Well, you know, the sacrifices they were offering were imperfect and temporary. Like God was, was accepting those, um, but they weren't perfect. They, they would have to be repeated every year. Uh, the priests would die. Now you compare that to Jesus Jesus lived a perfect life. His sacrifice was perfectly acceptable to God. And the author of Hebrews tells us that it was made once and for all. Like compared to a yearly sacrifice, that's pretty crazy. It's been like 2,000 years since Jesus. Like it was, it doesn't matter. The sacrifice wasn't made 2,000 times. It was made once. Jesus died once for all. And then he proved his victory over death. Jesus rose from the dead. That's, that's crazy too, because we don't have to wait for another high priest. We don't have to anticipate inferior high priest. Like we have Jesus. He's not gonna be replaced. 
And Hebrews 9.26 talks about this, says, But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And I love this verse because it shows that Jesus took all of our sin on himself. Like all of the mistakes we make, all the rebellion we have against God, all the broken relationships we have, Jesus took that on himself. And you think about how the, how the goat, you know, would, be, would have all the sins of the Israelites put on it and they'd be sent away from God's presence. Like that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus took all of our sin and then he went away from God's presence. You might, if you were going to make a comparison between Jesus and the old sacrificial system, uh, you might say Jesus was the goat. So the second part is also really important. It says that in him, we become the righteousness of God. Jesus wasn't this, you know, imperfect goat sent away to die. He was perfect. So even when he died, God's power, this perfect sacrifice, God raised him back from the dead. Like he's, he's back. He, does, he did not stay dead. And it, that's important because it doesn't, like our relationship with God is not neutral because of Jesus. I think it's, it's easy for me even to think like, oh, Jesus died for my sins. Now I just do a bunch of good stuff and I get to heaven. No, that's not how it works. Our relationship with God is not neutral. Our relationship with God is, is right because we become the righteousness of God. Jesus' perfect life gets credited to you. Like You do not deserve that. I don't deserve that. But that's what God does because he's, he's mediating for us. Jesus is mediating this relationship between us and God. Do you, do you feel just the freedom that can exist in your life because of that? Like You don't have to feel any pressure to perform. You don't have to try and be perfect. Man, like I, I just want to hold on to that truth in my life more than I do now. And then we move on to kings, right? The, the Old Testament kings, selfish and corrupt, they followed their own desires instead of God's. Even the ones who did relatively well uh, would die and be replaced by a, a worse dude sometimes. But we move to the, to the New Testament and God the Father has given Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is a perfect ruler. He doesn't mess up. And again, he's proven his victory over death. We don't wait. Like we're not waiting for Jesus to be replaced by someone inferior. We have a perfect king forever. Matthew 28, 18 says, Then Jesus came, and said, came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ephesians 1, 18 through 21, uh, Paul is writing to a church and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And I want to point out, neither of these verses uses the future tense. Neither of them is looking at a future point where Jesus will be made king. No, Jesus 
is the king right now. Like, you know what that means for you? Like, if, if you believe in Jesus, the king's job was to protect and lead the Israelites. You are always going to be protected, and you have someone who will lead you in the right way. Now, that does not always look how we want, right? Like, I personally would like to be led to lots of money and a ton of free time. Does anyone else want that? Do not lie. I know. <laughs> yeah, and you know what I want to be protected from? I want to be protected from anything that makes me uncomfortable. That would be dope. That is not what Jesus does for us. He actually cares more about us than that. He wants what's best for us. And what is best for us is really growing closer to God. That's the life that ultimately satisfies us for eternity. And so sometimes that means discipline, uh, tests, hard things. You know, uh, discipline is different than punishment, right? Punishment is getting what you deserve, where discipline, where God is concerned, it has a goal of getting us closer to him. That's way more meaningful for eternity than the amount of money or time or comfortability that we have while we're on earth. So we can take comfort when you're going through hard things Take comfort in the fact that Jesus is your king. He wants what's best for you. He is doing what is best for you, even if it doesn't feel like it. Like eventually, one day, everything is gonna be made right. And in Revelation, you know, uh, John, the apostle John is writing about these visions he sees of the future, the last like end days. <laughs> and he sees Jesus return. And this is one of the things he says about him. It says in Revelation 19, 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. So one day, Jesus will come back. Everything will be made right. And everyone will acknowledge Jesus as king. So as we, as we look at these three things, you know, in the Old Testament, we see all these problems, all these imperfections with these Old Testament roles. You know, um, they all had their different struggles. They all had problems with the people because they were sinners. Um, they were all selfish and they, they just didn't fulfill the role perfectly. But in Jesus, we have a perfect mediator between us and God. Like there's no one more qualified to represent us to God and really God to us. You know, we see just in Jesus' life, this perfect example. He experienced life on earth like we do without ever giving in to sin. And he paid for our sins, Right? He actually sacrificed himself for the people, for his people. He sacrificed himself for his people. And he has absolute power to protect and lead them. And I, I really like this passage in just the first chapter of Hebrews. It's a great kind of summary of how all these things, all these offices hailed by various people in the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Jesus. So Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Uh, however you mark something in your notes, whether you like underline or little brackets, that's something I've been doing recently. Do that around the, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The prophets were people who gave the message of God. In these last days, God has decided to speak to us through Jesus. And it continues, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, I want you to do that again around after he had provided a purification for sins, because that was the role of the priest. They provided purification for sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The right hand of God in the Bible is always connected to this, this unlimited authority and power. It is a place where, like, it is the place of authority in the universe. And that's where Jesus is. So I want to give you some applications, some, some hopefully things to, to do as we just consider what Jesus should be to us, what he is and what we should believe him to be. Um, you know, these are things we all need to work on, really no matter where we are in our faith. Like, I can just tell you, I need to work on all these things. You need to work on all these things. Um, try and pick something that you can do this week as a result. So uh, firstly, you know, maybe you have a hard time accepting all that Jesus said is true. Um, to be extra clear, like the Old Testament is one of the things Jesus believed was true. He said it was true. He used it to back up claims. Uh, he used it to fight temptation and he used it to end debates. Like he, he relied on the authority of the Old Testament just as the final word for anything. And then he also confirmed that his apostles, right, these disciples who he gave his authority, would write with authority. They were going to write the things, the, the completion of Jesus' teaching. So the Old Testament and the New Testament are the word of God, according to Jesus. So that's what, that's what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus confirmed as the word of God. And struggling in this area, struggling with that, would take the form of thoughts, um, you know, I, I know what the Bible says. You know, I know it says to do this. But in my specific scenario, I know God wants me to something that's not that. <laughs> like that's, that's a thought that, that comes up. You know, it comes up maybe pretty often, <laughs> in, honestly, in my life. Like I may not think it consciously, but I, I, will, I will act as though that's true. Another one like, you know, oh, I don't need the Bible. All I need is Jesus. It's like, Dude, how, you, how do you know Jesus? The Bible. <laughs> like you, you need the Bible. You need the word of God to really uh, have the truth about God. Because what this perspective does, what not believing Jesus does, is it really leads us to rely on ourself as a source of truth and not God. So the first application I have for you is believe Christ's words. Believe Christ's words. And we need to start here because if we don't believe what Jesus said, that his words are directly from God, then we're not going to have a right perspective on these other two things that we're going to talk about. And John, again, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we need to believe Christ's words. And I want to encourage you, it's good to make sure that you can believe him. You know, one of the things that I did when I first started really pursuing God in college is I wanted to make sure I could actually believe the Bible, like reasonably assured that it was true. And so I, I read some different books on that topic. Uh, I listened to some different messages that were just around this because I wanted to come to a conclusion for myself that, yeah, I can trust this. I can, I can actually believe that this is the divine word of God to us. And if that's, if that's not something that you have right now, that trust is not something you have, that's okay but I would get it one way or another. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a decision here, you, you need to make a strong decision that yes, you're gonna trust God's word completely, or it's not God's word. There's no in between. 
So another way that we can uh, that we can err, right? That we can mess up is thinking that we don't need Jesus as our priest. And what I mean by this is we, we just don't recognize how dependent we are on Jesus for a right relationship with God. So if we live in a way that puts responsibility on ourselves for being good enough, um, one or two things, like one or both of these things will happen. One, we're going to get discouraged, or two, we're going to get resentful. We'll get discouraged of ever being enough because we keep failing, or we'll get resentful uh, and think, man, God is, is expecting too much of people. That is just unfair. And these are really dangerous because it's just arrogant. We're taking the place of God. We're thinking that we know better than God um, and deciding what's right and wrong. And the answer to both of these things, discouragement and resentment, is to turn to and rely on Jesus as our priest. So the priests offered sacrifices for people so they could be forgiven and and free, free from the bondage of sin, free from the law. So, you know, not only can Jesus forgive us of our sin, but his perfect life gets credited to us. We don't have to be good enough. Jesus is good enough. And that's the second application for tonight. Trust Christ's work. So we want to believe Christ's words and trust Christ's work. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It doesn't say so that we might do our best to become the righteousness of God. No, it's in Jesus. That's how we get righteousness. And then this last one, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of you, and this is probably where I fall, like I struggle the most. Um, You know, you accept that Jesus is perfect. He's a representation of God. He's the word of God. You accept the Bible is true. Uh, you, you love that Jesus is your savior and forgives you and your priest, but, but you struggle with Jesus being the king. You know, Jesus has, has given us expectations for how to live in the Bible, largely like in the parts of the Bible written by the apostles. You know, we have in the New Testament, it gives us a lot of directions for relationships and a lot of directions on how to live. Now, I'm gonna confess something to you guys. I don't actually believe that sometimes. Now, do you know how I know that? Because I don't do it. <laughs> like, we act out of what we believe. And if I ever act a, like opposite to what Jesus commands, that means that I don't really believe it as much as I should, which is completely. And I'm sure you struggle with that too, to some degree. You know, I, I just act as if I know better than God. So every time that I or you act out of line with what the Bible teaches, what you're saying, what I'm saying is that I am the ruler of my life. Jesus needs to take a back seat. Now, you, not be, you, you may not be outwardly proclaiming that or thinking that, but that is what you are doing. You are saying, Jesus is second priority. I come first. Now, this is something that we just deal with on a daily basis. And what we need is just moment by moment to deny ourselves and realize that God wants, Jesus wants what is best for us. Our life will go better if we follow him. And so this is the last application is submit to Christ's rule. John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. If we love Jesus, if we really want to follow him, then we try and do what he says. And I want to be clear, these these applications, they're not something that 
anybody is expecting you to decide tonight and accomplish perfectly for the rest of your life. Like that is not gonna happen. Um, you know, for, for everyone who decides to follow Christ, there is a moment where you say, you know, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you as my savior and Lord. That is one moment. But the rest of our life, we just have the, the joy and opportunity to work on these things. And I can just tell you from personal experience, like the times when I've been like drawing closer to Jesus, the times where I felt close to God and been, been doing things to try and, and really complete these applications, that's when I've experienced the most joy and the most fulfillment in my life. So th- these things are not meant to burden us or wear us down. These are actually, these will bring good to us. So looking back, you know, at the Old Testament, we can think like, man, that is just such a complicated mess of rules and laws and this sacrifice system and, you know, these kings that are just horrible sometimes. Like, what is going on there? But all of that, all of these things are pointing to just the perfection of Christ. And that should really remind us how how good it is to have Jesus as our perfect prophet, priest, and king. It is so good. And I hope that you're just reminded and encouraged about that truth. So go ahead and pray with me. God, um, I'm just so grateful to remember that you are the king. Jesus, that you, you represent us before God as our priest and that, that you show us what, how we should live just as our, as our prophet, as the perfect word of God. I pray that we would all just um, be struck by that, that we would all come away with something specific we can do uh, in response to you tonight. And God, I, I just pray that we would really be uh, hopeful for the future because of just your rule in our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.